Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Today we are going to continue just our short beginning of the year series called Faith Life, about life here within the church, specific to our local church, not the universal church, but to this fellowship, this congregation. And last week I I left everybody with a challenge about membership and belonging to the church, because we understand that Jesus is the one who builds the church, and he's also the one who owns the church. And so when we have been placed here, when we have been put here, it is not by happenstance. It's not because we liked the seats or the coffee here better. It is because Christ himself has placed you in this fellowship. And it is your responsibility as a believer to find the the niche where you belong, to serve wholeheartedly, to understand that we together are being built up into a temple of praise to Christ Jesus. And any one of us kind of holding off, holding out, keeps all of us from being what we can be as a fellowship. And just the three ideas I left you with last week to reiterate. Jesus has placed you in the local church here and equipped you not just to consume, but to serve. And we see this throughout scripture that you have a place If you are a believer, you've professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you would call this place home, it's time for you and all of us to to buckle down, buckle in, and get going and serve in the way that we were made. Now, were we all made to serve the same way? No. I know a couple of you, if I invited you to this platform to pray right now, you would die right where you sit, and uh, because that's not your place. But I also know others of you who, who you can sit still and pray for hours. I can do it for minutes uh, because I've got the twitch. And it's just, it's important to understand what we were made for. But all of us were here intentionally by the hand of Christ to serve one another and the community around us. And not only have we been put here to do things, but we're also put here to be in relationship with one another. You and I, according to scripture, we are responsible for and to each other here in the local church. Scripture tells us very clearly, and I know if you listened last week, you'll remember that we are responsible for the sins of our brothers in the sense of restoring them and calling out transgressions, that we should always want to see one another living rightly, that we should never leave offense or hurt to, to boil or fester between us, but we should address it first one-on-one, then two or three-on-one, then before the church. And if it's a genuine sin issue, you could stand the, the, the possibility of being asked not to attend until you're ready to repent. So we see who we are supposed to be then that church leaders, myself, the elders, your Sunday school teachers, we're here to help you become faithful ministers, to actually do the work of the ministry you were made for, not do all the ministry for you. It's not my job to do everything. It is my job to give you the tools you need, to give you the spiritual confidence you need, 
to do the ministry that you were made for. Whether it's platform, praying, balancing books, teaching Sunday school, hospitality, cleaning bathrooms. I mean, the, the list of spiritual gifts is nearly endless when we see them in Scripture. So now that we know who we are and how we are supposed to belong to one another, that we've been placed here intentionally by the hand of Christ, what are we supposed to be doing besides those relational things that we've already talked about? So the church's mission, what are we here for? Well, we have a mission statement, and it's really simple, and it's been up front almost since I got here, um, and it's, it's on the website. It's all over the place, and it is this simple statement, to know God and make him known. That's what we're here for, to know God and make him known. And this did not just come out of thin air, but it is a biblically sound statement of mission. But to know, sometimes we think about knowing and, and we limit it to just an intellectual thing. But when we're talking biblically, when we know God, we know him relationally and intellectually. That what we are about is inviting people into relationship with, with God through Christ Jesus and teaching them proper truth. And you might wonder, what is the proper truth? And I will tell you, the only truth to be found in our lives today is the revealed Word of God, illuminated by the Holy Spirit as it shows us Christ Jesus. And so if you want to know what's true, we will find it in, in, in these books, these pages. And anything that is not recorded here as true is, is untrue in the sense of, of unreliable. Now, not every scientific fact is in here. You will not see how to treat COVID in here. So not all truth is between these pages. But things that this book specifically speaks to is true. We can trust to be reliable. We can trust to be absolute. And so we want people both to enter into the relationship with the God of this book, but also to understand this book and the God it reveals and the truth that he has shared with us, the standard. So if you've got your Bibles to see the biblical foundation for this, if you'll open them up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is uh, the first gospel in the New Testament. And then 28 is the last little bit of that gospel. And, and Jesus has already lived, uh, been born in the manger. He's lived a perfect, sinless life. He's had his three, three-and-a-half-year ministry with his disciples. He has died on the cross for the sins of mankind and risen again. And so much has already happened by the time we already get to the end of Matthew here. And what the end of Matthew gives us is what many of us know as the Great Commission, but really it is the mission statement for all believers. And then by, by nature of transference, it's the mission statement for a gathering of believers as well. So this is where we derive our mission statement from. So uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So if, if you're familiar with the story to this point, once again, Jesus is risen. Judas has hanged himself. He's dead. And uh, we're left with just 11 disciples uh, who are still continuing to follow Jesus intimately. Now, he has a larger group of disciples, about 120, that follow him a little bit at a distance that are not in this intimate group. But these 11 are following Jesus' commands. They're going up to Galilee, where Jesus had done the majority of his ministry, and they are waiting for him to reveal himself. Verse 17. 
When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is not a very long passage. This is not a a, a great discourse like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount contained in Matthew 5 through 7. It is instead just a short, simple statement, a command and a commissioning for what these 11 men and everyone who would name the name of Christ that will follow after them is to be doing. And so let's dig into this a little bit and just kind of look at it verse by verse. Let's start in verses 16 and 17, these 11 disciples. It's just a Jesus tight-knit group of guys. And most of us can remember many of the men who were here. We've got Andrew, we've got Peter, we've got James and John, we've got James We've got Judas and Judas. Uh, We've got this whole mix of of men who are following after Jesus in just this small group of 11. We've got guys who had been tax collectors like Matthew, and we've got zealots like uh, Simon, and and, men who were like freedom fighters for the Jewish people. So we're all over the place. And, And these men, men like Thomas, even as they saw the resurrected Christ, they, they worshipped him and they recognized him, but they still struggled. And so these 11 disciples, they go up to Jesus, uh, Galilee like Jesus had told them. They see him and they worship him. The risen Christ. What an exciting moment. And most of us, when we read our Bibles and we think of the right way to live the Christian life, that's where this verse, verse 17, should stop. When they saw him, they worshipped But what's so cool about Scripture is it also gives us a picture, it gives us an understanding of the struggles of even these early disciples who had been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, who had seen him do miracle after miracle, who had watched him, whether up close or from a distance, be crucified, seen the empty tomb, already seen him appear in rooms and groups of people, and now he has just shown up in Galilee. I mean, this is amazing to watch Jesus whom all of them had declared to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, show up before them and they worship. That's where it seems like it should end. But Scripture gives us the whole picture. But of these 11, some of them still struggled with their faith. Isn't that refreshing to know on one hand that these men who had walked with the incarnate Son of God, who had seen everything, who had watched Him be crucified and risen, they still struggled with doubt. The truth is what Jesus wants us to understand, what the Spirit wants us to understand through this word, is that this mission isn't just for the gung-ho. This mission that we've been called to, it's not just for the super-Christians. It's not just for the pastors and the evangelists. It's not just for the people that we would look at and go, oh, they're spiritual. And we do know people like that, don't we? Where we're just in awe of, of, of their spiritual walk. They can walk into the room and you're like, oh, Jesus just showed up. Oh, and they're here too. I mean, that's the feel that some people have. But this mission isn't just for those kind of people. This mission is for all believers including those that may be struggling with doubt. Those that maybe are doubting either their Christ, wondering if 
if, if he really loves them, if he's really in control, maybe doubting their own salvation, am, am I really saved? Or maybe doubting their own abilities. Some of you guys, you've been saved for years and you don't believe that God could actually use someone like you to do the mission. But he can. This mission is for all believers, including and maybe even especially those of you who are doubting today. Those of you who are struggling with faith. Because when you get into something wholeheartedly, when you give yourself to it completely, when you get on mission and are all in, guess what starts to disappear? The doubt. The fear. The struggle. Now, it'll still be there, in, but in ever-increasing, or ever-decreasing, excuse me, measure, your doubts will shrink. Instead of being the monster that keeps you from living out your faith, they become the mouse in the corner that, that just is annoying and likes to munch on things when you're watching Netflix. You, know, you see the, the picture when you dive in wholeheartedly, the mission begins to destroy the doubt. And here's the mission that Jesus gave these 11 disciples and that by the nature of the mission actually transfers down to every disciple of Christ who will ever be, including you and me. Excuse me. He, Jesus came near them and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus begins to introduce the mission by saying, guess what, guys? I'm in charge of everything. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in the presence of the king of both heaven and earth. And there is no reason for you to do anything but walk in this mission. Now, what, what's interesting is this, this phrase, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. When these 11 disciples heard it, they would have immediately thought of, first of all, one of Jesus' favorite names for himself throughout the Gospels, Son of Man. But it's specifically referencing a passage in Daniel. If you have a Bible and want to flip back just to make sure I'm not reading you something that's not true, we can check out Daniel 7. It also should be in the Bible app where Jesus finds this phrase, son of man, and when he uses it, it doesn't mean that he is the son of a man. It means that he is identifying with the son of man that is in here, here in Daniel 7, and he's saying, this is me. And when we read about this, when we read these details, we're going to be like, oh, Jesus is actually saying a lot when he calls himself the son of man. So verses um, 13 and 14. What's going on here is Daniel is having a vision and it's related to the end times. There are four beasts and, and there's horns and you're probably going, yeah, that sounds like revelation. And it is. It relates to the end times. It relates to the uh, prophecies of, of kingdoms that will rise. And, and what happens is these kingdoms rise and then they fall. And then all of a sudden in Daniel's vision, he sees starting in verse 9, he sees this. He says, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. God the Father is the Ancient of Days in the interpretation of this vision. He has, uh, his clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. Verse 10, a river of fire was flowing out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened, and the book, books were opened. 
Now, we'll skip a couple of verses, not because they're unimportant, but because they speak of the beasts who are facing judgment before the Ancient of Days, the false kingdoms, the kingdoms of man that are facing judgment. But in verses 13 and 14, we are introduced to another character of power, another person of power who enters the scene. Verse 13, Daniel says this, I continued watching in the night vision and suddenly one like a son of man. And that is the phrase that I want you to to look at when Jesus calls himself son of man. He's saying, I am this person that you read about in Daniel. So one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. So there is this person, this son of man, who will arrive. He will be escorted into the presence of God the Father. And then this is what will happen. Verse 14. He was given dominion, which means authority, rule, all power, and glory, and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So when Jesus tells these 11 men that all authority has been given to me on heaven or in heaven and on earth, he is referencing back to Daniel chapter 7 verse 14 and saying, "I am the one here listed in this prophecy in Daniel, who has been given all the authority everywhere, and I have a kingdom, and in my kingdom, I expect to see, verse 14, those of every people, nation, and language. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, the kingdom has started, and people from everywhere from every ethnicity, from every language group, from every people group, they are going to be part of this kingdom. So when Jesus says to his disciples that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he's saying the kingdom is established and now I've got a job for you. I've got a job for you guys. And here is the job. Because I'm king... Because I've been given all authority, because there's a new kingdom being established, and this kingdom is going to be populated by all kinds of people, here's your job. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So, As we read this great commission, a lot of us, we read it and it's just like, yes, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Yes, yes, yes. I know. I've got that. I've been learning it since Sunday school for many of us or learning it since I got saved as a Christian. But it's important to understand that we need to read this and read all the components of it properly. So this is a command. And actually the first word in this sentence or in this passage should be, therefore, Because therefore means because of the things I've already told you. Because I'm in charge of everything and I have a new kingdom, I want you to do something. So therefore, go. Now, we read that and a lot of us think that the go is a command. Because that's the way it feels in English. But in the original language... When Jesus says go, it's better translated 
as you are going throughout the world, as you go about your daily life, as you go out and live, as you're walking along the path, as you head out every morning. So Jesus, therefore, because I'm in charge, because there's a new kingdom and it needs new citizens, as you go out into the world, this is the command, make disciples of all nations. Now the word for nations in the Greek is not states and countries, so it's not let's go take over Congress, oops, I I didn't mean to say it that way, let's not vote people into Congress and take over the government, uh, you know, and make it a Christian nation again, but the word there, make disciples of all nations, the word for nations, it's ethne, what's that sound like? Sounds a lot more like ethnicity, doesn't it? A good translation is not just nations, but Go and make disciples of all people, no matter their skin color, no matter their language, no matter where they're from. What does that remind you of that we've already talked about? Doesn't that sound a lot like Daniel 7, 14? This kingdom that the Son of Man is establishing that will have people from every nation and every tribe and every language. We see that reiterated in Revelation in heaven, there are people of every tribe and language and nation, and, 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 and they are saved and in God's presence. But the way they get there is not just magical. They don't just show up in God's presence. It's because faithful Christians and faithful churches take this command to make disciples of everybody they encounter as though it were real and true and needed to be lived out. So Jesus says, because I'm in charge, as you go about your daily life, because there's a new kingdom that needs to be populated, make disciples of everybody you encounter. And here's how you make disciples. You baptize them. And a lot of us think that baptism just means you get wet in your clothes, right? You, you, maybe you wore a white robe and got, got baptized, but you know, you... you um, you got to get wet in front of everybody and your hair is going to be flat and they're going to laugh at you on the inside, but they'll clap and say, hallelujah, on the outside. That's, how, that's what baptism feels like, right? There's just some sort of something, a symbol. But understand, when Jesus talks about baptism, it is symbolic, but it is symbolic not of just getting wet, but instead that you have come to a place in your life where you identify with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in deep and meaningful relationship, and you want the world to know it. And so baptism is not a practice of just getting wet so that you can join the church. It is instead a public profession of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why baptism is important. If you've never been baptized, it's important for you to understand it's not just another check mark. It is an experience, a moment in which you get to declare, I belong to Jesus and I'm part of the family of God. And so we see this relational aspect. And then we see, he says, not only are you supposed to baptize and bring them into relationship with, with, with me, But instead, you're also, or additionally, you're also supposed to teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. 
to teach them everything. Uh, it's not teach them the three best things that I ever taught. You know, love everybody, do nice things, and you're good. It is to teach them everything. Jesus has specific teachings on so many things, including marriage and divorce, including uh, our, our, the, the way that we're intimate, paying taxes. Jesus teaches on so many things. And he tries to draw out living out the Ten Commandments in faith, not for the sake of salvation, but because we're saved and because we're his. And so there is this aspect of instruction as well as an aspect of relation. And so here, if, if, if I were going to put this passage, what we've looked at so far, in Michael words to try and help you understand. This is not a, a, a translation. This is just me summarizing it. Jesus was saying to those disciples that day, and he is saying to us today, since I have all authority, as you go out into the world, make disciples. And, and, and for us, going out into the world means going grocery shopping. It means going to the movie theater. It means going to the mall. It means going to work. It means taking kids places. It means going to school. The command for us as, as a church, the command for us as believers is as you walk this life, make disciples. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And he says this, disciples are made by baptism or teaching them about relationship with God and teaching or sustaining their intellect and giving them truth and giving them real meaningful doctrine and helping them understand the standards and the nature of God. So we as a church, we're told to make disciples and it's both relational and it's intellectual. It's baptism and it's instruction. When we go back to what it means to know, it's relational and it's intellectual. And so in the mission of our church, when we say we want to know God and make Him known, it is we want to be faithful disciples who have been baptized and identified with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we want to know intellectually about what He has taught us. And we want to walk out into the street and everywhere we go, invite other people to know Him, to enter into relationship with Him, to understand the truth about Him and how He created this world. So I think you can see that these, these two different things, we're, we're supposed to make disciples according to this command, and it's baptism and it's teaching, it's relational and it's intellectual, uh, that, that we're we are focusing in our mission statement on knowing. So we are essentially saying we want to do the Great Commission. We want to be faithful Christians who make faithful Christians, who lead other people to faithfully follow after Christ. And so when we're talking about to know God, it's two things. It's for us to be in relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit and to be in relationship with one another. Faithfully supporting one another. Do you, know, do you know the most tangible place you will see the hand of God is on the hands and through the hands and the life of other believers? 
The most tangible place you're going to see the face of Jesus Christ is in the face of another believer that you faithfully connect with and talk about Christ with. And and you will see in them His mercy, His power, His disappointment when you're walking in sin and they're calling you to repentance. And so we're, we're supposed to be relating both to Him and to one another. And then we're supposed to be learning and growing I love this morning in, in the, the doctrine class that I'm teaching, we're going through the Baptist faith and message. It's supposed to be a 27-week class, and I think it's going to be a 27-year class because um, I can't stop. We, just, we got questions, we got ideas, and I can't, can't hold it down, can't tap it down because it is such good stuff. We are supposed to be in love with Jesus and want to know everything about him and what he says about this world. And that's what it means to know him. And then we want to make him known. To make him known means to invite others into relationship with him, telling them, you are dead in sin. You are a child of wrath, but God loved you so much, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, and he rose again on the third day to prove it's all true. And if you trust him as Lord and Savior, you will be made alive, raised up out of the death that sin causes. You will be made free from the wrath of God, and you will be a child of God. We're inviting you into relationship, and we also want to teach them about everything he's commanded us. So, to kind of give you some perspective, this whole series is about who we are as a church and our mission and and how we're working to move forward. Here's what we do as a church to live out the know God portion of our mission statement. And I got to tell you, it begins with Sunday mornings, like gathering together. If you don't do anything else, I do encourage you to come to the gathering, to come to the Sunday service at 1045. It's a good place to begin to know God. We try and sing songs that point you in his direction. I try and preach sermons and the other elders when they preach and others that teach for us, we try and make sure that you are being pointed toward Christ and and falling in love with him, but also learning more about him and how he would long for us to live in this world. Next step would be things like Sunday Bible School. I encourage all of you to come and attend Sunday Bible School. We've got great classes for adults, and the kids are doing great. The students are a great class. I just felt like a Trump kind of thing. for it. just, It's all so great. Um, it's the best. I'm not a very good, I don't have a very good impersonation, so um, I'll stop right there. But Sunday Bible School is a great place to connect relationally with others, and ask questions and hold each other accountable and learn about the Savior that we love. Fellowship meals. I got to tell you, we have fellowship meals from time to time. We're working on making those uh, more regular this year and even better. And sometimes you think, well, right, but why would I want to just go eat pierogies? I can go do that anywhere. It's not the pierogies that you should be here for. It's the people that you'll get to sit at the table with and talk about things, and to grow together. And hopefully the conversation slowly turns from more than just football, or baseball, or work, and eventually turns to the work of God in your life. That's always the hope of gathering us together, is that we stop being superficial, and we begin to know God by knowing one another better. And of course, we've got our great midweek groups, a Monday night Bible study, Wednesday night women's study, Thursday night youth group, opportunities for you to know God, both relationally and intellectually 
better. Now, that is the first step. It's why we start with no God. And it's why, really, the last four years, some of you might be wondering, why haven't we done bigger stuff? Why aren't we doing great big whoop-de-doo outreaches? You know, where's this? Where's that? And it's because, in all honesty, I came into a church as a pastor that is disconnected and struggles to know God. And I want to see us closer-knit I want to see us really understand scripture. I want to see you passionate about Jesus. I want to hear you sing on Sunday mornings. One of the things that's moderately disappointing about being up to the front is that sometimes the only people I hear singing are the people on the platform. Belt out. Even if you stink. If if you could look at the words and sing them and mean them, then do it unashamedly. You are worshiping God. You're at the throne of the king. You're not performing for the people up here. I long for the Sunday where it's deafening as the congregation sings out because we know God so well. And things like that are what what have kept us from doing some of the bigger things because until we're excited about Jesus, when we do the block party in the driveway and invite all the neighbors, there's 10 people who come from the church to do all the work and everybody else, oh, I'm praying for you, but I can't make it today. <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm praying for you guys, but I got my nails to do. I, I, there's the, the lawn. It's just, it's like this tall. And if you feel judged because I'm saying it, maybe it fits. But when we're all in love with Jesus, man, we're, we just long to have other people come and hear about him, right? And, and if there's the opportunity for one person to come up the driveway and camp out in the parking lot and eat a hot dog and, and do a dunk tank and hear the gospel and get saved, all of us should want to be there to see it. Because we know God so well that we want to make him known. Some, some, some things, we, I've thrown at you guys a, 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 a discipleship journey, and, and it's not something that I've really pushed hard, but just understand where it's birthed. To know God is to believe and to belong. To believe in him and to belong to his people. And we're still in this phase of life in a lot of ways as a church. Things that you can do to grow, things that I want to do to help you. If you were to go out in the foyer I just put them up this week. They're shadow boxes or little, little tiny shelves. They're not tiny, but shelves out in the foyer. And on each shelf, there are books. And above each shelf, there's one of these signs. Believe, belong, reach, or multiply. To believe are resources in doctrine and knowing God better. To belong, resources in connecting with other believers and church membership. And so those two things, if you want to know more about believe or belong, you can grab resources, you can read the books, you can come say, hey, I read this in the book that you gave me. What does it mean? Things like that. But, but I want you to know God by believing wholeheartedly and belonging fully. And then we can have the opportunity to do even more excitedly make him known. Now, I want you to understand, we have not neglected making him known, though. We have been serving each other in the church, which is the first step of making him known, is you living out your faith faithfully in front of the people who it's easy to live faithfully in front of, other Christians. It's easier to be a Christian around you than it is to be around pagans, right? I mean, that makes sense. 
Of course, sometimes no, but most of the time. We've been serving each other within the church. Some of you are teaching classes. I'm so proud. Some of you are doing hospitality. You're cleaning. You're, you're, you're coordinating. You're counting. God is using you. You're doing web stuff. God is using you. You are serving in the church. It's the first step of making him known. This year, uh, or, or throughout the years we've been here, we have been consistently giving to missions. Making him known through the work of others. And that is something important we should be doing. But some of these other things are things that you and I can do and it'll, it'll help us to deal with that doubt and help us to more readily live out the making disciples part of this great commission, this mission that we've been given. This year, I hope to offer an opportunity for adults, families to be able to go on a mission trip together. We're looking at someplace in Appalachia and uh, we'll make sure there's no banjo music, but we will have opportunities to serve other people in the name of Christ and share the gospel with them. The students are already planning to go to Chicago this summer to do a mission trip. And so um, you might wonder, why would anybody want to go to Chicago to do missions? Because they need Jesus bad there. Have you seen the news? Almost as bad as Pittsburgh. Which is why we should be reaching out everywhere we go. Sometimes I got a little bit of push and say, how come we don't do more outreach events? Uh, We've done a few. They don't go so well. Uh, We mentioned last week, it's because we are a, not a community church, but we are a church from a bunch of different communities. And so it's difficult for us to draw the community in because a lot of us just don't even belong here and we're strangers. But that doesn't mean we won't seek to continue trying over the course of this year. But more than that, I want you to know it's my effort to give you tools to reach out in simple and meaningful ways. Anybody remember the gospel diamonds? A simple way of presenting the gospel. It's been in the foyer. There are still cards for it all over the place. How you can present the gospel in just looking at four different pictures and helping somebody to understand the story of Jesus Christ. For you to understand, you are capable of telling someone else the gospel. How do I know? Because you understood it well enough to get saved yourself. And if you understood it well enough to get saved yourself, you have the tools to tell somebody else how they can be saved. Now, if you sit and say, well, I don't know. I walked an aisle once. I got dunked, but I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know that I understand the gospel. Come and ask. We'll talk about it. So we're continuing to plan outreach events and and give you tools. Some of the stuff that's on the the table tentatively is we'd love to see some block parties at your house maybe and reach your specific neighborhood where we all come and volunteer to help you reach 5, 10, 15 of your neighbors. And I'll cook hot dogs and you'll welcome them into your house or I'll cook steak if that's what we need for your neighborhood to be appropriate. And we'll invite them to your house and you'll have the opportunity to connect with your neighbors and we'll share the gospel with them and we'll invite them to church. But me and other church members will do all the work so all you got to do is hang out with them. All you got to do is get to know them better. We're actually looking right now, we'll be, today is the first day to announce that we want three homes, three places, three communities that we can reach out to this year with either an Easter egg hunt, a summer barbecue, or a trunk and treat. If you, that's your neighborhood, if that's your front yard, if that's your backyard, begin to let me know. We want to vision cast and decide how can we reach your neighbors this year. And others of us are come and we'll do the work so that you just have to hang out and share Jesus. 
Finally, one way that we make him known, and this is one that kind of sticks with some of us who are in the building and love the building and love the thing, is actually support of our homeschool groups is one way that we make God known. Do you realize that um, there are a lot of parents who have convictions about not sending their kids to public school? They've decided that public school is the, the same as sending their lambs to the wolves. And, and those of you who have not decided that, that is not a judgment statement. That is to say some parents have decided that. And they don't have the resources to be able to do it on their own or they're, they're struggling with doing it alone. And so there are homeschool groups that form. And our church hosts two homeschool groups every week. Tuesday, we have a, a group that also meets on Friday and then also a Thursday group. And in the course of those three days, we see about 300 students and, and, and mothers come into the building. And we are helping them to know God, and we are making God known by just letting them use the building. They're using biblical curriculum. They're teaching from a Christian worldview, and they're trying to raise their kids up to be good believers. The things, the, the, the discipleship path, the resources in the back to help you reach, to, to reach out to one another here in the church and reach out to your community. A couple of great books, one to motivate you to just do things and stop worrying about, is it God's will? It's God's will for you to live a faithful Christian life of righteousness and reach out to people. He's already made that clear, so do that and then figure it out from there. Great resources for that. And then multiply opportunities for you to make other disciples and get them deep into the Word of God. We've got resources back there in the multiply shelf. So the thing is, is the goal is not so that we can build up a big church. It's so that we will be faithful to the Great Commission and fulfill this prophecy about Jesus' kingdom. A dominion, a glory, and a kingdom where Every people, nation, and language will be invited in to serve him. That's our mission. Every people, nation, and language invited in to serve him. That's what we're here for. Encouraging one another, building one another up, serving one another so that we can then go out and reach the world and as we go, make disciples who get to come in and be part of this great kingdom. The challenge, the mission to know God and make Him known, to sum it all up. As you continue to grow in knowing God, everywhere you go, make God known. That's what our mission is. You and I, we're supposed to continue to grow in God and knowing Him more so that we might go out and everywhere we go, whether by action or word, we make God known. Here's the final encouragement that Jesus gives at the end of verse 20. He says this, And remember, I am with you sometimes. Or I am with you when you're a good person. Or I am with you if you use the right evangelism book or evangelism tool. Or I'm with you, you know, and you can put any other limitation that causes doubt. And none of those are true. He says, I am with you always. Always. I'll be your power. I'll be your motivating factor. I'll be the one who encourages you. I am with you always to the end of the age. And what that means is until he returns again, he has promised to empower us to do this mission he's called us to, to know God and to make him known until the totality of those who are supposed to be saved have been brought into the kingdom 
and restored and renewed. And he'll be with us in the midst of all of it. So this morning, as we continue to try and understand this faith life, you and I, we are not just called to come and be a church together and tell the world, lump it. We're called to be a church together that we might grow up into Christ-likeness so that when we walk out the door, everywhere we go, we make disciples. It's not an instantaneous process. It's not always a process that is void of scariness and trouble. But it is the job that we have been called to, to know God and to make Him known. Remember, He is with us always to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me? And then we will sing a song of prayer regarding this truth. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the time that you've blessed us with. Pray that we would go back into your word more deeply and understand the mission that we have been called to. That we would not take for granted this work that you've given to us, but would instead joyfully begin to live in it fully. Continue to do the work of knitting us together, of making us more in love with you, but also more in love with one another, and then giving us boldness to go out and reach the world around us. Thank you for this mission. In your name we pray, Jesus.